Welcome to the Organic Wine Podcast. I'm Adam Huss coming to you from Los Angeles. Thank you so much for listening. I'm really grateful to have partnered with some really great sponsors who provide services that I think many of you would enjoy, find useful, and want to support. The first is OOM. That's O-O-M at oom.earth, oom.earth. Oom has created an industry-changing process for collecting, removing labels, and cleaning and sanitizing used wine bottles so that they can be reused. The cause of the most carbon emissions by the wine industry by a significant margin is the glass bottle, and the recycling rate on wine bottles is troublingly low. Oom just helps solve both of these problems for winemakers at a price you'd likely pay for new glass. If you're a winery who cares about reducing your carbon footprint and having a lighter ecological impact, check out OOM at oom.earth. Use referral code OWP and let them know you heard about them here on the Organic Wine Podcast. Also, if you're considering a holiday in Portugal and Spain, consider booking a luxury wine and food tour with Catavino Tours. Catavino Tours is in the process of making your wine vacation with them emissions neutral or better if possible. They are finding ways to reduce waste and make your trip more deeply educational and meaningful. They are currently booking for a natural and sustainable Portugal wine tour this fall, and you can have an enriching experience while also supporting this podcast by booking at catavinotours.com slash OWP for Organic Wine Podcast. That's C-A-T-A. V-I-N-O Tours with an S dot com slash O-W-P. And finally, if you live in the U.S., especially northeastern U.S. or anywhere around there, and you're interested in establishing a vineyard or adding to an existing vineyard, get in touch with Stephen at Vermont Vineyards. Vermont Vineyards aims to reduce stigmas attached to hybrid grape varieties in New England wine regions while bringing cold climate viticulture into the backyard where it can be enjoyed as a hobby or a passion. You can reach out to Stephen by visiting vtvineyards.com OWP. That's vermontvineyards.com OWP. Okay, this episode is about a topic that I've encountered in many different ways more and more as I meet and talk with people who have become, through their love of wine, more closely connected to the land, to nature, and to the interconnectedness of life that we find when we dig into the soil. I've had some really interesting off-record conversations about ideas that many people are thinking but few are ready to put into words or want to admit. Until finally, Derek Trowbridge suggested that we should record an episode about wine and spirit. No, not wine and spirits. Uh, Wine and spirit, as in the something ineffable, a participation in something larger than ourselves that we experience in many different ways through wine. You may know Derek as the lovely person behind Old World Winery in Sonoma. You can learn more about his winery at oldworldwinery.com. And there's a great episode of the Organic Wine Podcast with Derek that I highly recommend if you haven't listened to it already. But there's more to Derek than just winemaking. Derek's first epiphany came at 12 years old when he tasted his grandfather's natural wine. The energy in that glass perplexed him, and so began his initiation into a long-celebrated tradition of wine and the energy, perhaps the spirit, it conveys. But of course, one cannot get to the place Derek was unknowingly seeking without including all the machinations of life and the lessons to which it helped to have specific aids along the way, wine being one of those potential aids. Derek's official spiritual tenure begins more difficultly with 
Roman Catholic schooling of 10 years, but more eloquently with meditation and consciousness studies over the last 12 years with two renowned teachers. Derek's hope is to convey what he's learned in a life of wine to produce a spark of passion, allowing the natural flow of spirit through the lens of wine. And we were delighted to be joined in this conversation by Kiara Shannon, who also has an episode very much worth listening to on the Organic Wine Podcast. Kiara is an LA-based sommelier, wine educator and consultant who has been recognized as a pioneer in the global mindfulness and wine movement. In addition to two decades of wine industry experience, Kiara is also a 500-hour certified yoga professional and MBSR-informed mindfulness practitioner with many years of study. This unique background in wine and wellness led to the creation of her trademark Mindful Wine classes and experiences. Kiara believes in wine as part of a healthy, balanced, and meaningful lifestyle and loves to share her pleasure of wine with others. She's also continuing to study and maybe working her way towards two masters in wine degrees, which you can ask her about. You can find her on Instagram at the Yogi Sommelier and learn more about her work at mindfulwine.co and online at mindfulwine.co as well. And then there's me. I don't know how much you know about me, uh, other than that I'm the host of this podcast, but a spiritual approach to life was a part of my upbringing and really shaped who I am now in many ways. I was raised by two very sincere and devout evangelical Christian parents, and I embraced their faith as a young teen. Uh, Given my love of getting on a soapbox about various hot takes on the wine industry, it may be of no surprise to you that I was preaching in churches when I was 16. And my first international travel uh, was not too long after that as a missions trip. But at some point, I began to realize that I valued truth over my faith. And the many unanswered questions that I began to have finally eroded my faith. I have a BA in religion from the University of Iowa, which is also where I first experienced psychedelics, mushrooms, and LSD. And shortly after college, I started a church for entheogenic mushrooms. Wine came later, but was no less influential. Looking back on 20 years of becoming ever more inextricably intertwined with vines, I've begun to have the perspective that wine, as an avatar of spirit perhaps, used its sensual pleasure to inspire my curiosity and and lured me to rediscover a profound connection to that something bigger than myself through the connection of plants to this planet. Nature may just be another synonym for spirit in that sense, and I've even built this podcast to promote ecological values, which is another way of saying a perspective that sees each of us and our choices in connection and relationship with the totality of life. I've reached a point in my life in which wine is more an excuse for storytelling, more of a metaphor, and what I really want to create with the work I do in wine is to use it to inspire you with the wonder of nature. So that's how this conversation came to be. A big thanks to Kiara and Derek for candidly discussing these ideas. We'd really like to know what you think about this episode. So please email any comments, questions, or otherwise to connect at organicwinepodcast.com. We really only scratched the surface of this topic, but I think you'll find some inspiring ideas, including Derek's proposal of a sacred grade of wine. (laughs) Also, quite a few books and resources to check out, a discussion of some of the as-yet-unmeasurable aspects of biodynamics with a really amazing story that Derek shares about the efficacy of the 501 preparation 
and how he made believers of his entire vineyard crew. And we talk in many ways about regeneration and rewilding, how these land-centered ideas are also connected to and echoed inside us, as well as how our interior lives get reflected in how we care for our land and our vines. Enjoy. I mean, I appreciate that because I was, there's a notable ambiguity, you know, which, which is also part of the, of the attraction, you know, it can be a lot of different things. So a lot of different people, you know, yeah. will come. but I and guess we, we are. Can... Re- no, we're recording now. So cool. what you just said is recorded. <laughs> okay, <great>. um, <laughs> but yeah, so we, we, we all really got excited by the idea of talking about wine and spirit and, and then my question that I just asked you, Derek, was like, what, why, why did we get excited by that idea? And, <laughs> and may, maybe both of you have an answer for that. Well, I appreciate that. You know, it, it's, it's funny because, uh, you know, I'm 53 now, so I see things a, a little bit differently than when I was 25, for instance. And, you know, and my outlook is, is different. My health is different. So I just have a kind of a, a whole kind of life change, if you will. And probably when I was younger, uh, beginning my winemaking trajectory, I was more like, you know, wine is a, 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 a sacred beverage, you know, which it has mm-hmm. been historically and still believe that to be true. Um, but the question is how and why, and 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 that's where the you know the the the, the good or bad details, whatever, um, come up. And for me, I just realized that it wasn't necessarily a direct link to spirit. Um, that you know, in the end, I think actually today I realize that you know wine's a nerve toxin and it hurts my gut. I got a gut issue, so I have to see it differently than I did before, mm. and. I use it sparingly and I see it more as metaphor to spirit, you know, and, and more as like something that, that helped me think about it earlier on. And now, you know, I can go directly there, uh, two different things. I don't know if that makes sense. Well, we can maybe, what was the question that you just asked Kiara before? Oh, well, just, um, well, I, I totally agree. Um, and I think that, the fact that wine is powerful, it's powerful medicine, is something that isn't discussed a lot in the wine community. So I, you know, it is toxic in, so, in many different ways and affects people differently and needs to be treated seriously um, in that capacity. But I, but I think my other question was, um, more. you mentioned, Derek, that you thought differently about it as a young person and these have now become metaphors. So what are some of the metaphors I guess was my question. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. Uh, I wish I had a good one for you. <laughs> but <laughs> more is just kind of a, a, a stand in, whereas before I was like, you know, in my day, unhappy, you know, probably broken in spirit. Um, and that's that's where the, the problem lies, not in in what's going to actually get me to spirit. And, and so... I, you know, was viewing wine as a direct conduit to get me there in some ways. And I don't see it that way necessarily anymore. Um, you know, and so, so that, that metaphor, maybe it wasn't a good way to say it. It's just that it's, it's not a direct link. You know, the, I, the only, the only direct link is me to spirit or whatever, you know, whatever you want to call it. However, 
each person wants to define that for themselves, I, I believe is important. People get to define it for themselves, but, but it's not a direct link, like have this glass and you find spirit. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because there's so much about context, right? I mean, there's so many aspects to wine that are, you know, this, the spiritual connection comes from the growing and the making and the sharing and all these other aspects to wine that are not just the physical beverage and the drinking of it, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's really, yeah. so, sorry, Adam. No, that's go ahead. Go ahead. And and that's really the rub for me because, you know, when I, when I started doing this, I, I was trying to make, you know, what I call sacred grade wine, which is just the, those grapes are grown as purely as possible with the, the least amount of adulteration. I've even eliminated sulfur in the vineyard uh, mostly. And, um, and so, you know, that's first and foremost, like honor that plant, honor the spirit that's out there in the field and then bring that in and not have all these, you know, cool winemaking techniques to make it one way or the other, but to try, not, try to honor it as best as I can. And then let that be the beverage. And and I think that I got in a in a pitfall or in a hole about that and you know and thought that would be something valuable to somebody. And the conversations that I just regularly had weren't about that. It's just all about, you know, let's get it out there as cheaply as possible and and um and just create stuff because people just wanna drink it, <laughs> which is good. <laughs> but you know, as I found last week, you know, there's there's problems with alcohol. I got had a guy who went on a four day bender with one of my uh, work trucks, and <laughs> it brought it all home in a kind of a really horrible way. Uh, and those wow. are things that I constantly think about. You know, that's interesting. I love the idea of sacred grade. Like, I think the USDA needs to implement that. It's like there's choice, <laughs> there's choice, there's prime, and then there's sacred. Sacred grade. <laughs> If the USDA doesn't do it, maybe I'll do it. The yogi. Yeah, I love that. I'll just declare it. I'll declare it sacred grade. That would be killer. I mean, you know, it's like kosher. Someone's got to be there. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's that's right. <laughs> I am gonna, actually. You know what? I'm going to start using that phrase out there. That's so it's good. Like I'm going to start so start populating it in the conversation. <laughs> Me too. I, I like that because I think it does speak to you know. I think that we there is an aspect of wine consumption and wine sharing that Derek, as you mentioned, has been celebrated for thousands of years. So as sacred, and so we have we're kind of caught in between these. There's like a tension between. Um, you know, what happens when you drink wine and its effects on us. Um, and also, you know, and there are positive and negative sides. I think, you know, we're always inclined to want a simple solution to things, but the world doesn't work that way. Nature is always has a duality to it. Mm -hmm. And I think there's something sacred within the balancing act, right? Um, navigating, yeah. navigating through the mess. <laughs> um, and so I think, you know, people can have sacred wine experiences with sacred grade wines, but I do think people have very sacred and meaningful experiences with um, what someone might say are like commodity wines. And so it's interesting to speculate on like where exactly mm. is the spirit, right? Yeah. Mm. Oh my it, God. I mean, you inspired me to answer that question of like why I got excited about this topic, if that's okay, if I can jump in, which is Please. the, the idea that, um, 
wine, like the wine as we initially experience it when we know nothing about it is, you know, a, a beverage in a glass and, and, or at least for me, maybe, you know, like it, it, it always depends on where you come from. Maybe you were raised on a vineyard or orchard or whatever, but um, for somebody coming into this world from the outside, it, it was that it was like, I got, my senses were ensnared by this pleasurable experience and that drew me into connecting that experience to everything that now is really where the excitement lies for me where the magic lies for me and 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 it's in that connection you know the as if 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 the glass of wine is sort of like the flower that's out there that catches your attention with color and aromas and things like that. And then you realize that flower is attached to a plant that is attached to the soil that, or, you know, connected, maybe attached is the wrong word, but connected to the soil, which is connected to literally everything. And all of a sudden, you know, this, this wine (laughs) thing that got your attention, you realize is just this metaphor for the interconnectedness of all things. Um, At least that's been sort of the experience that, it has led me on, you know, the, the rabbit hole that has drawn me down. And, and I, there's something about connection that I think is really important about wine. Um, I I mean, I, I, for both of you, I think there's this sense of listening and observing and sensing more thoughtfully, like, because I think that's important for connection. I just wonder, you know, I'm just throwing out some ideas for you guys to maybe connect with and riff on. Um, but both of you, I think, approach that that sense of listening in different ways and in very interesting ways that I'd love to hear more about. Um, but for me, it's that idea of, you know, to to see the connection. It's like, really, you just have to pay attention. You just have to start listening and looking and observing. And suddenly you realize how much intelligence there is in, you know, the fact that you you put sheep poop on the ground and from that you get this beautiful delicious sensory <laughs> experience in a glass you know um yeah. and and how is that possible and how is it, how can we even explain that you know uh, which we can't I don't, you know i don't think we can but um and that's kind of where spirit comes in in a sense in that but please i'm just throwing some things out there maybe connection is something to talk about oh man i'd love to riff on on those two comments yours and, and chiara's the and i think it comes back to you know it comes central to place right so so the place kind of decides the the flavor the you know varietal has flavor but the place helps create that flavor but then as back to chiara's point you know it's also about you know pe- of people having a sacred experience with a what we'll call non-sacred grade wine potentially And, uh, and, but that can be about the place, right? In the right setting that's transformed and, and the setting, you know, restaurants know this, right? They create a transformation and you feel a certain way. Go back to that, that, that study that was done a long time ago where they served the same food in a diner setting and in a white table setting. And everybody liked the food, even though it was the same food better at the white table setting and on and on. Uh, from there. And then, we, you know, if we talk about place, we got, you know, you know, the place of production, wine production, place of consumption, but then coming back to connection, as you mentioned, Adam, and I call, I would say intimacy, you know, I'm intimate with 
the spaces where I work and and I I honor that intimacy. It that is sacred to me. That is how I can make the most sacred product that I can um, in my own way. And uh, and my my biggest you said listening, Adam, and my biggest tool in that toolbox in farming is observation. I mean, you know, I have a, a master's degree in winemaking and a bachelor's degree in viticulture, but really none of that is as important as my power of observation. It took me a long, a, a, a lot of years to really come to the, the, the truth of that, uh, polishing and polishing down to the, to the final shine of the truth. And uh, it's that observation and, and that shows my intimacy. What am I seeing? What am I missing? You know, what am I in tune with? What am I in touch with? And tuning in. You know, as you mentioned when we when we spoke offline about their sort of emails, Adam, about um, tuning into plants, and uh, I think it's an important yeah. thing. You know, and 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 I do it in my in all my daily I mean, tuning into the other person. That's you know that's important. That's compassion. Tune into the plant. That's also compassion and understanding. It's becoming a part of your outer surroundings, and and uh, yeah. So that's where I'd say on that. <laughs> Yeah, and just um, in addition to factors like set and setting being important for having kind of a consciousness, a transformational, you know, a transformation of consciousness um, with wine, it, I think also intention is a big part of it. At least that's been my experience, um, you know, studying mindfulness and different yoga and mindfulness practices and the the changes that take place in your brain when you perform, you know, when you go through the actions of setting an intention, being present, observing, listening, um, Adam, just like you were mentioning, and how that brings about an actual shift in um, our nervous system. And, mm. you know, we go from being in a stress response, which we kind of basically live in constantly in modern life, um, more and more every year, it seems, <laughs> um, into a place of, um, you know, the parasympathetic response, but into a place of sort of openness and creativity, um, and a sense of security and safety. And, and I think everyone craves this, you know, this is something that we crave and need. And, um, wine is one way, you know, with the right intention, the right set, the right setting, the right context, all these things that can, has the capacity to bring this about for people. Um, it's not the only thing, you know, meditation, um, intimate, you know, different expressions of intimacy, emotional, uh, emotionally, uh, romantically, you know, all these different things. But I do think that wine is one thing that hits at a very primal level of, of needs and desires and, um, and, uh, you know, the common human condition. Yeah. I, the other element that I think we've, we've all touched on is this idea of metaphor that I really like. And I think that I guess is me getting, digging a little deeper into the listening and observing aspect because some of that might end up being translation and interpretation uh, when you listen closely enough because I mean, just like as an example I just came back from a, a workshop on reading your land with Nicole Masters and I mean talking about having my mind blown by by <laughs> soil it was like we just walked out onto a patch of the ranch uh, where it was held at Piscinus Ranch and Literally, it was just you know, whatever this the the what you'd pass over a hundred times because it was just 
some <laughs> random spot in the middle of nowhere. And we just sat down, you know, a hundred people sat around her and listened to her for like an hour, talk about what she could tell about that land based on what was happening. You know, what she, what she was observing, you know, the color of the plants, the height of the plants, the absence of the plants, what type of plants, you know, the, and, and, and it's, it's stunning. Like the, the amount of ecological knowledge that is available that we've lost, you know, over time because of our disassociation with these things that, that is there, that really is an, an entire, you know, it's tomes worth of knowledge that we could read and hear and, and interpret, um, with the right, you know, with a, with a little bit of attention and learning and guidance. And, you know, it's when you realize even just something like that, like the grass that you just walk over every day has these kind of messages. It's like, what other messages <laughs> are you missing mm -hmm. out on? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. what other languages are you, you know, what other things do you not hear because you don't speak the language? And there's this, you know, I think one of the things that we were talking off offline that you mentioned, Derek, was that, um, you know, this idea that plants can speak and there's this whole science of listening with your heart uh, which apparently is a sense organ uh, rather than just a muscle. And, and there's a whole bunch of stuff going on with that. But I, I, I like, I just want to throw this out too, that Nicole, when, when we would delve into things like biodynamics, where we start talking about energies, she ra rather than say, rather than be dismissive, what she, the way she referred to some of the things that um, what were, we just haven't figured out how to measure those yet. And I thought that was a very uh, open way, very, you know, a very cool way to talk about things that, a very humble way to talk about things that you don't understand or that you would otherwise be dismissive of because it doesn't fit into a reductive science model. It's like, it's not necessarily bullshit. It just might be that we don't. We, we aren't smart enough yet, you know? Well, we don't have the tools to observe right. at that subtle right. level. I mean, the same arguments are the same um, has been proven with how meditation works, for example. You know, now we right. have the ability ability and the technology to observe brain waves and notice what's going on. Um, but before that, it was just, well, um, the proof is in the pudding. You either believe it or you don't. You know, it, was, it was just sort of evidence, you know, woo-woo or whatever. Um, but now it's, uh, you know, we can observe. And I think there's so much yet to observe that we can't observe happening, you know, in the soil or in the, you know, at the very, very micro, 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 micro biological level. Um, I mean, there's just so much that we don't know, um, yeah. can't observe that's happening. I mean, yeah, uh, I was going to say something else, but I got I got down that, I got down that rabbit hole. Um, Sorry. <laughs> um, but I, I, oh yeah, I know what I was going to say. So like, you know, at, before we started recording, I was telling you about my personal Super Bowl that I had where I just, just spent the entire day in the garden. Yeah. Um, and I live in Los Angeles. It's an urban area, but we do have a little bit of a yard and, and it always amazes me, you know, even, you know, it, it's one thing, you know, I visit vineyards and I learn about the farming and biodynamics and all this stuff. And it's really, um, you know, mind blowing and amazing to experience. But when I, even by spending a few hours in my backyard, I'm blown away by what I can observe um, going on just in my backyard. When I stopped to pay attention, you know, there, I had a fungal, you know, I had a big mushroom outbreak in a corner. And then I noticed that there was this 
spread going on and I observe a colony of finches in a tree that I hadn't seen before. Just, you know, it's just amazing what you can observe when you pay attention and our power, mm. we are so, we have so much capacity to observe that we don't use, you know, so yeah, just got to take the time to pay attention. Oh yeah. And, and, and we got to realize too, that it was only, I don't even think it was 20. Well, maybe it's been like 23 years since Elaine Ingram, Dr. Elaine Ingram, you know, coined the term, the soil food web. I mean, that seems obvious now, but it's like 20 years ago before that it was, nobody was talking about soil being alive and and what that meant. And so I, I think it's brilliant, you know, for, to, to say, you know, we can't measure something yet. And, and, but it also gets to the point of my split with science, even though I consider myself a scientist, you know, I've had several splits in my life. One was with, you know, spirit. We can get into that later, you know, out of coming, growing up in Catholic Roman Catholic school, but the other was, uh, with science when I was getting a master's degree working in science and I was disenfranchised by what you could not say. Okay, you could only state in the the articles that we were writing and stuff like that, you could only state we could actually prove through statistics, but you couldn't state other observations. And, you know, what we're talking about here is the most important thing is the observations. Mm -hmm. And that was where I was just like, well, you know, I'm, I'm doing a right turn here because that just that's not what my that's not where my brain is, even though that's important. Uh, but it's not the only important thing. And, and so, um, so I've actually come a long way from wanting to measure things. And, uh, and even, even the peasant wisdom, you know, that Rudolf Steiner uh, gathered for biodynamics was common knowledge in the old days of, you know, the, the planets, I mean, the planets uh, have energies that, that align with certain plants and parts of human organs it's really you know just really interesting to read there's a book culture and horticulture by wolf storl s-t-o-h-r-l i think anyway um that explains those kind of things uh and i think they're fascinating but we still couldn't measure it uh so it's it's tricky you know it's it's like a it's like a tricky place to be but it's certainly a good um thing to know if you're talking about science or not science, you know, or what we, what we typically, the, 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 the pocket or the, the, the folder that we put science in. Right. I mean, and I just want to clarify, you know, when we were talking about these things, I think it was within the context where, where, where Nicole at this workshop said, you know, we don't have a way to measure that yet. Um, it was within the context of we, have seen observed changes because of our actions you know taking these actions we just don't know why those changes are like so it's not like just woo woo believe something that isn't found on anything it's like we've seen something happen because of these actions taken you know whether it's like a silica spray or whatever it is but maybe but we just don't know why why exactly like we know what's happening we can quantify even what is happening we just can't quantify the why yeah i I could share sorry i could share a a quick story about proof and measurement um yeah that i think i shared when i saw you last adam but i'll be i'll be quick because i know chiara may have more to add but um 
So, you know, I took over you know, about 20, three, four, five years ago, whatever. I, uh, like in the late 90s, I took over management of a, of a, an opera- a vineyard operation. I was farming about 115 acres of grapes and I turned it into biodynamic um, from conventional. And my crew was never along the, the ride with me. They were just like, where's the white suits? Where's the toxic shit? Like, come on, you're not doing anything yeah. here. <laughs> and uh, poor Eligio, uh, my one of my tractor drivers, he had to cover for another guy and do the morning spray as well. 501 is the morning spray, and he hadn't done it before this. And uh, anyway, I do my stirring, get him spraying, and uh, you know that happens early in the morning. I go back, take a nap, and I get a call from the ag commissioner. And Eligio had gone to the hospital with a huge rash and said he was spraying something. And so the ag commissioner came right on over to meet with me. <laughs> Eligio. <laughs> that was not fun. And, uh, and anyway, his rash was so bad that the, 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 uh, the punchline is, you know, his rash went from his, his elbows to his knees. It was amazing how, how thick and bad it was. And I asked him, you know, do you, have you ever been for some reason, I don't know why I thought to ask this, but have you ever, had to leave a job. And he said, yeah. And I said, what'd you do? He said, it's construction. I said, what kind of construction? Insulation. And I, and I said, what happened? He said, well, I'd get this bad rash. Well, insulation's hundred percent silica. So he has a silica oh. allergy and <laughs> you know, this little tiny, you know, part of a teaspoon in, you know, 50 gallons of water had wow. a pretty significant effect on him. And, and, and wow. none, nonetheless, the crew, they were all believers. After that <laughs> <point>. <laughs> that's, there you go. That's amazing. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that, that, that's funny. I, I don't know if you guys know Greg Pennyroyal, but um, he was actually at this workshop too, which is why he's on my mind, but he did a great podcast with, uh, on the uh, regenerative agriculture podcast with John Kemp and highly recommend anybody check that out because you know, he's a viticulturalist, a very, very knowledgeable viticulturalist, but he's done a lot of work um, with, uh, he actually worked with the doctor of the Dalai Lama because that person lives in uh, Temecula here in California. And they were, he was finding that these dilutions of, I, I, I'm going to totally, this is going to be totally wrong. So ignore everything I'm saying and go listen to it. But um, the dilution, they were doing these dilutions and it wasn't until they got to like, essentially a parts per million that would be considered like non-existent where they started seeing the effect go up from these thing. Like, so um, like these, you know, homeopathic amounts of whatever it was that they were doing, um, is, you know, like it was, it was sort of like, if you, like people joke about like a, a whispering vermouth into a martini glass <laughs> to make a really good martini. And it's sort of that idea. It's like, you just whisper the idea into the water and that water now has this, you know, it, it changes the energy of the, the water to the point that you actually see an efficacious result from it. Um, and I, anyway, I just something for people to check out because there's actual, you know, some very interesting findings going on with whatever he was doing. And he's got a lot to say about these things. Well, it's really interesting because like when you start to hear, you know, when you start to go um, and read about all these astonishing, um, you know, stories like you just shared where something that you think 
doesn't really make sense. And then all, then there it is happening. You, the, the line almost kind of becomes blurred between those types of things and like what people might report as miracles, you know, it's like where there's, where is the line? Is there a line? Right. Um, maybe there isn't, I don't know. Mm. Yeah. And, and it could be said, you know, we co-create miracles and, and that's probably maybe a bigger discussion, but, but, you know, like what, what you offered Adam about uh, the dilutions and, and homeopathics yeah, it does. It, it all homeopathics don't work until a certain dilution, and not usually a high one. And I think it has spiritual implications because it's um, how could that work if if things are not energy and vibration? You know, everything is energy and vibration. And but if you're if you're talking about stuff we can't see. How does it work? Well, there's there's a background. There's got to be a background energy that that drives it. What would that be? I couldn't imagine it's anything but spirit. What else could it be? You know, if it's like a one energy that is in everything, comes you know out of everything, and is behind everything. Um, and and to me, it's proven there in homeopathics and how we can take. You know, I would say that a gunshot is one of the you know one of the the strongest things we have on this planet but but the elegio that uh that 501 stirred was a pretty intense experience and it was only energy with no bullet and no gunpowder right right yeah that's amazing so derek when you and i were talking right as right as i was last leaving your presence the last time we were together in person I think we were talking about you brought up how biodynamics you know says you, you know, at least 10% of the farm can't be farmed you know you leave it to as as habitat you leave it as whatever you know you, you, in a sense you leave it wild and I was like yeah that sounds a lot like tithing where you're giving you know in a religious tradition that 10% to god and and that and and what you were saying was like in biodynamics, you know, one of the things is you, you're leaving habitat, you're leaving space for the, you know, the land to express itself however you want, but it's also this area where wildness and generation can happen and, and regeneration can happen. And I know Carrie, you brought up regeneration as we were talking offline too, as a, as a re, as a spiritual idea. And I, I don't know if either of you want to reflect on that in terms of, you know, I feel like so much of what we're talking about with wine and spirit actually is really about the farming, uh, you know, or the, the connection of, of wine to, to the land. And I think that's really interesting as well. And how that ties into regeneration, um, rather than all the things that people think wine are about, which is like bottles and liquids and glasses and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, I'm just throwing out some ideas if either of you want to riff on, those ideas well i think that when like us working in the wine industry for us at least you know my path has been the more i learn about wine the deeper i get into it you know the path has led me to seeing um the spirit and wine be more located in like place and land and and regeneration but i do think that there is a connection or a through line between 
the land and like how many people experience wine, like I mentioned in the beginning, um, there is a spiritual, the spirit is present there too. Like we can't separate, you know, it's not like we have we just, you know, us knowing about wine and being connected to the land have a privileged access to spirit. I think anyone who feels um, moved or transformed or uplifted or um, has any type of consciousness shift when they experience wine is, you know, the, the spirit or the spiritual experience of wine is available. Um, you know, think about people just not putting much thought into wine, but celebrating at weddings or whenever um, the occasion might be. Um, so I do think when I think about regeneration, I, I, I think it, it's a multi-layered concept, right? You know, but I think it's all telling the same story, you know, the regeneration of land and the actions that we take there, um, we can take a similar approach to the regeneration of our own selves and our own spirit. And then we can also examine um, the regeneration of sort of cultural spirit or the spirit at large um, in similar ways. But uh, yeah, I, I kind of think of them side by side or at least simultaneously. Um, I oftentimes consider, the, uh, you know, situations that I observe in nature and, and think about how that is at play in my own being um, and what I might be able to learn. Mm. Yeah. Love that. The, you know, for me, the, you know, you started out with rewilding Adam and, and, uh, and it's a, it's, or not rewilding, in particular and sometimes we call it rewilding when there was a yeah. farm or something that's going back to to being wild and it happens on biodynamic farms too and that that component i mean because if you think about it we're you know we're changing nature right we're creating this farm and it's feeding us and that's doing good uh but for for nature you know that's not always the best way it's not the most efficient use of all the sunlight sunlight, anytime sunlight hits the ground is a waste of energy in nature's uh, view. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, the, the things that we do are fairly wasteful, but we do, you know, do it to feed ourselves. And so that idea of leaving the part wild, I always liked that idea because there, there isn't, you know, there's regeneration and there's also generation. And, you know, when you have a little component on a farm where it stays wild, new things get generated there. Um, it's always in transition. It's the natural path. And, um, and you know, you just take the, the grapevine, for instance, you know, we've been growing the same grapevines for several thousand years. And uh, that DNA is pretty limited. And so, you know, if we wanted to select some new vines, for instance, um, in new climates, then we would have to do quite a bit of work because we're all working with a very limited supply of, you know, vinifera vines from Europe. And so how do we leave a spot for some new genetics to be improving and working if we're not growing other things, which to most farmers don't have, you know, economic value, so they're not going to grow those things. So I, I plant, you know, some of the, of the, uh, the, the seeds, that have grown on my property of grapevines and just to see, you know, what they'll do. They, they, they're not always the, they don't always work out so well, but um, 
just to allow again that that wilding part that regeneration part but the regeneration you know shara you implicated earlier that there that that the regeneration not on the podcast here but when we were, when we were uh communicating with each other that it implies an an injury and and i agree i mean i i think that when you know farming is uh is a it's a pretty violent act, actually, uh, if you think about what was there and what it looks like after, you know, the original. And, you know, we start at 6% organic matter and go down to 0.05% organic matter in many places, um, which changes the whole soil microbiological life and uh, could be said to be creating a desert. And so that needs to be regenerated. Um, and same with ourselves, you know, if we have a a split with spirit, something happens, you know, earlier in life, then we give up on, you know, spirit, which to most people in, in this country looks like church on Sunday or synagogue on Saturday, you know, it, well, there, there's, there's more than that, you know, it's not just limited to that experience. There's more that people can do on their own. Um, as Chiara mentioned with meditation and whatnot, and I think it's important and um, and that's, you know, so that's regeneration of the self. There was a quote in a book called Seven Circles, which is a pretty good kind of self-help book written by two indigenous people, Chelsea Luger uh, among them. And she says, uh, people who are anchored in spirituality are resilient, able to weather the storms that inevitably, that life inevitably brings. And, and I, I feel that that's true for myself and for my farms, I have to bring that resiliency. You know, we're farming in drought and flood and really not much in between. And so I've got to create this resiliency through soil life and same with myself, resiliency through sort of a spiritual life or a spark of one. It's not that it has to be something, potentially just a beginning of something. Um, um, so I do, I like that word regeneration a lot, there, but there's a lot to unpack with it. Yeah, I was just thinking about the concept, you know, of leaving part of the land um, alone, uh, you know, to to do it, you know, not not farming it as part of a regenerative um, approach. And when I when I think about that and, and sort of apply that to, you know, our our being or our, our thoughts, you know, there there is a there is a there are many there is a lot of evidence out there to support the idea of like the wisdom in doing nothing um, and how the brain actually needs to unplug or disengage from, you know, what we might call just sort of critical thinking um, in order to regenerate. It's kind of where like creativity comes in and where, um, you know, it we can have breakthroughs in thinking is actually when we're not thinking, <laughs> you know, um, and there's a lot of evidence behind that in stories. You know, I think I remember reading or hearing that that's how, you know, Einstein came up with some of his theories was while he was playing the violin. So like not actively thinking about the problem. Um, but I do, there is a lot of, um, you know, I, I think it's another example of how we can see um, the benefits and the, and the healing and the solutions in nature um, also alive inside ourselves. Um, and I think more and more today, we're, the modern life pressures us to be doing, 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 um, but that's really stressful and we do need to slow down and stop and not do um, more, I think. <laughs> oh my God. I, I love that. That's been, you know, my path has been to try to 
shut down my active mind, not, not literally, but, but to, you know, come back to doing nothing, as you say, and, you know, Masumoto Fukuoka, uh, who wrote the one straw revolution, you know, kind of wrote the Bible on that. And, but he's, he says clearly, he says, it's not, you know, it's not do nothing completely. It's, you still got to chop wood and cut and carry water, (laughs) which they literally did. He and his students ended up students that went there to visit him farming rice. Um, and he became known as sort of a, a Buddhist leader, actually. I don't even know if he, you know, was part of the Buddhist religion, but he was treated as such. Um, um, it's such an important reminder to to the self, for myself, that that I, you know, that, I, that there are those moments in my day, I wish it was 10%, it's probably not when I just do nothing, space out, enjoy the shade, you know, um, but I, my to-do list is big and I'm typically trying to bust through it and catch myself and go, oh shit, I got to turn around and be calm here for the moment. And that's hard to do in this culture. And you got rent, whatever you always got to make. So it, it, it creates a grind that is really the antithesis of spiritual development. I think kind of, it's easy Wine is a very complex topic, but it can also be a very simple topic. And I think that in some ways that's the very simple attraction or perhaps benefit of wine is that it's fairly readily available to many people around the world. It's a simple action. You know, you buy the bottle, you don't have to cook it, you don't have to do anything. You can open it up and you can have sort of a moment of peace, um, you know, sitting there enjoying the wine um, it came from nature at some point. <laughs> it may not be sacred quality, but, um, you know, I think it's a way it, it can offer a way for people to disconnect and, and connect to something else. And I think that's really kind of the simple pleasure of it and simple promise, um, you know, without getting so complicated, um, it does offer that. And that's something that I always try to be orient my intention around when I'm enjoying wine, because I do agree, like we brought up in the beginning, it's powerful medicine. Um, You know, it can create problems. Um, So you have to be really mindful about, about how you're drinking wine and what you're connecting to and how you're being. Um, And there's a lot of beauty that can come from that. So yeah, just, uh, I was just thinking about that and how, at least for me, wine is always some, is, is it, is something you can reach to for a way to connect to nature and kind of slow down and simplify and sort of let your mind wander as you're enjoying it. Yeah. I am. Um, I wanted to respond to a couple of things. Uh, the idea of wildness, you know, I've, I've had, I've had this problem with people talking about terroir where it's like, <sighs> I, I don't know what it is. I feel like there's like always a, you know, land has always been connected with humans. And, you know, I think the idea of wildness actually came as a, as an attempt to eliminate certain humans from land. You know, this is part of the, the problematic use of the term wilderness or wildness. Um, and, and I, and I just want to clarify that, you know, I, when I use that term, it's always inclusive of humans. And so there's always some, cultural element to it you know there's always some um we we are part of that (laughs) you know and and i think that's actually a profound connection that we can have when we when we stop thinking about it as removing us i mean like you know if you guys know my wine we have that wine called hello old friend and it's you know it's a picture of the earth saying that and the whole point of that was like this reminder that 
there isn't an antithesis between humans and nature. You know, it, it is, it is a friendship. It is a, and it's, it's a, actually much more intimate than a friendship. Um, and so I just, I, that I was just something I wanted to think about that. And maybe that actually brings up other things for you guys too, but this, and then also jumping back to the idea of, uh, of this, leaving some part of your, your, your farm wild. Um, I, I, I've actually just recently started thinking about including every part of like my wine business and really my life with this idea too, where it's like, they're sort of letting go of certain things like this idea of control, um, I think is what that's tied to. And, and it, sometimes that means saying yes to things, you know, leaving 10% of your world to say yes to something that you don't know the outcome of and maybe it's you know letting there be 10 percent of your world be questions that are unanswered where you're you're asking i wonder and and what what if and what about this and and that opens the space for for you to grow for your for your business to grow if you're in the wine business for your wine to develop in different ways for you to learn for your farm to change and expand and become something more than it was because you didn't have a you didn't have a certainty a, a, con, a sense of control over that aspect um and it might fail you know i mean not, nothing might come of it <laughs> or failure might come of it or like disaster might come of it but but also something super profound and new can come of it and that's part of the risk of of saying yes to something you know um and i i wonder just in in terms of that we've you know this idea of intimacy and connection I, you know i have a i have a story about that that's something that i've been thinking about in this sense of spirit and wine that relates to all this but i wonder if each of you in addition to you know responding to anything i'm saying have stories of times where this came out where where this where i don't, I don't know maybe it's just as broad as do you sense the spiritual moment uh in relation to wine I mean, for me, it was like, you know, picking prickly pears. I, I get embedded with spines, you know, and I started realizing like they're barbed spines, so they don't leave your body and what becomes of them? Well, they become part of me, you know, like, and so after, after a harvest of prickly pears, like I have wine in barrel or in bottles or whatever, but I also have that plant. I'm now, I have like this intimate connection with this plant inside me. And I, you know, this, that connection to me has become much more profound, even though it's painful initially, there's some reward to that because there's bridging this gap between the other happens because of that. And I, I kind of like the metaphor that that has become in my life and getting <laughs> barbed prickles yeah. in my skin. Um, but, <laughs> but uh, I, I don't know if you either have stories similar to that or you know, totally different from that, but where you you've really felt that spiritual connection to wine. Well, this sounds like a, uh, an ancient tattoo method. <laughs> yeah. <totally. laughs> uh, you know, it, it's, it's funny. I, I caught the word antithesis. Um, mm. you know, I'd probably just start there and, 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 and hopefully yeah. I can come back to where you just left off, but, but, you know, it really comes from separation and, right. uh, Chief Seattle, I used to read this story to my kids. There's a great little children's book about Chief Seattle. And he gave this really famous speech when they were finally removed from, you know, the land that, that is Seattle and put to a reservation. And 
and it, you know, part of it was, you know, you, you people are, you know, completely separating yourselves. You come in and you build little fences and you have separate pieces of land, blah, blah, blah. And, and that you're creating the separation between you and the and creation, you and the earth, and it will be your undoing. You could say that we're seeing that somewhat now in the world today, yeah. in the news. Um, and, you know, there, there's separation from the land. There's separation from self. Uh, Martin Prechtel, a shaman who wrote a book called The Unlike- Unlikely Peace at Shishumakik. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but um, just a great book that changed my, just was a revelation to me about connection and intimacy. And it all comes back to the seed, actually. And seeds being actually the most important thing because they are regeneration in a box, if you will. Um, and that that intimacy that that is sort of lost, that connection that's lost when we, you know, when we take take land and use it for something in a, but in a way are disconnected from it and have no, you know, mythology or understanding of, you know, or, or, or like the plants, the beings that are on the land aren't part of our creation story, for instance, then it's hard to be really that connected uh, with the land. And so adversarial relationship comes and, and really you could say that Western culture is, is all about adversarial relationship. And I certainly have had that embedded in my own self and had to, you know, work on getting it out. And it was really the way I grow things. It was, it was there. It's like, it's like forcing something to grow, you know, even that way, instead of creating conditions and allowing something to unfold in a beautiful way and, and be its own sacred being, I'm standing there trying to force this, this to happen. And, uh, and that's because I'm separated, separated from it. I'm, I'm separate and in, in in sort of an adversarial way. And and so you know, I I would say that wine used to bridge that gap for me, um, and I would become more observational, or more mm-hmm. observant to these kinds of connections. And then when that wears off, go back into my you know need to make money mode and and adversarial and, and make the land work for me. And uh, they're very different places and yet they both existed within me and and thankfully i've eliminated you know as as much as i can so far and hope to more that adversarial part yeah i mean i think that's the that's the tension that we as modern you know as people living in modern modern living with with society and rules and economics and having to make money and all these different things there's this um it's this the path we have to walk you have to constantly make difficult decisions um that may be in service to spirit in some cases and may be in service to needing to pay the rent in other cases and this is just the condition that we're in <laughs> um it reminds me of when i when when i studied uh was studying yoga philosophy and um some of the ancient stories of um of just you know of a perspective on on life that is not like oh there's a right way and there's a wrong way but rather there's different ways and they are both hard um and you know the 
this, the answer is not this way or that way. The answer is you look within yourself and choose, and then you choose again and you choose again and you choose again. And that that's just a very different perspective than what I was raised to see how I was raised to see the world and, you know, growing up in California and the United States and the West. And um, it's taken a lot of time of digesting that and reflecting and thinking. And I, it's a constant it's a constant struggle because you're sort of we're growing up here where, you know, I was infused. It's like, I can't, you know, the, the, I guess, colonial perspective or like whatever you want to call it, or um, that's infused into how we look at things living in the United States and the West, um, as opposed to this other way of looking at it, which could be indigenous informed or Eastern informed, these different perspectives and, um, it's a choice, you know, it's a constant choice. I kind of have this gut reaction way of thinking, and then I need to kind of pause and reflect and think, well, are there different ways to look at this? And, um, yeah, I, I, I feel like I'm kind of going down a path. Um, but I just wanted to remark that I, I think there, it's a constant and it's a constant tension. Um, and you know, wouldn't it be great if we didn't have to think about all of these things, but we do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I almost I almost said reality keeps dragging us back to earth, but I, yeah, I, exactly. I'm hesitant to like use the word reality because I know that it's uh you know like you said there's much more to it than just one. It's not just negative, you know. Reality is everything. Um, well, Adam, I think you mentioned earlier, uh, like, um, or it was mentioned, uh, just sort of concept of of separation and you know, some practices that bring you back to feeling kind of one or connected. And um, I think, you know, that ancient wisdom, again, is sort of many different disciplines and practices that have been designed and created and taught over time to sort of relieve us of the pain and suffering of that, you know, living in the world has for humans. Um, and farming is actually one you know, being in nature, at least for me, gardening or connecting with the soil and planting seeds. Um, I think, you know, a spiritual moment, um, you know, I've, I've always had some profound moments with nature. I remember I was going through a really hard time when I was in junior high, for example. And um, I don't know if I did this intentionally, but I just, I was, I was alone. You know, I didn't have anything you know I might I didn't really have any friends to hang out with after school during this one period of time and so I just planted some seeds some flower uh, sunflowers in the garden and I just watched them grow and it was very healing I have to say and, and still to this day I think when I'm feeling just when I'm feeling like I'm having a crisis of spirit there I I'm drawn to nature and I, I spend time outside and um there is so much uh it's just really in a way kind of healing just to even be reminded that the world is bigger than you and your problems. And I don't know, I think there's a, for me, I have had spiritual moments like that with nature. And I've also had similar types of spiritual moments with wine where I'm in a place um, with people, uh, you know, whether, you know, in a foreign country or, or here in my backyard, you know, we have amazing wine, California, just the, feeling so profoundly connected, you know, connected to the place, connected to the people, connected to the moment, um, catalyzed by wine. And um, it, 
has spiritual feelings for you know spiritual meaning meaning to me Derek, do you have a story that you'd like to share or just something like <laughs> well, that? I was just thinking about, you know, Chiara, when you said, uh, you know, profound moments in nature and, and healing, you know, planting seeds. I was just thinking about the garden therapy programs, the many, you know, especially for veterans and which it, it appears that really garden therapy and and you know, LSD or, or mushrooms are, are, are typically all that their findings helping, mm-hmm. you know, veterans coming back with trauma. Um, mm-hmm. Those two kind of choices and certainly, you know, gardening, you can spend more time at. Um, and it has a, you know, just that beautiful kind of feeling that connection, you know, you're, you're there, you're standing in the middle of the connection. Um, and when it's all working, it's magic, you know, like my gardens here, I don't get to actually do as much of the work anymore as I, as I like to, but the thought process and all that is, is mine and, and I, and the timing. And I just love to see it unfold. <clears throat> you see those plants spring up and, you know, when you're invested in them and you're, you eat them and, you know, it's like a regular thing and I'm looking for, I'm thinking about, you know, getting that inside my body and, and, uh, uh, and watching it, but also the miracle of it growing and, and, and just seeing it happen daily. It's really a beautiful thing to be a part of it. I agree. It's a spiritual, um, experience. It's a moment. And, and wine does the same thing. And uh, there's like an, an unfolding about the thing that you observe and being a part of it. Um, and that has this beautiful spiritual component and I just, I love it. Uh, uh, gardening is such a healing tool and, and, uh, I'd like to spend even more time at it. Yeah. This reminds me of, you know, there are, there are so much healing that can occur psychologically through like simple actions of the body. Um, you know, it's kind of the foundation of practicing yoga. I mean, you don't practice what practice, you know, the word practice yoga, you're not the purpose of practicing yoga on the yoga mat is not to get good at doing yoga, right? It's to be good at dealing with life. Um, and, and, and so the way that you, you know, the mat and you are, it's almost just sort of a simulation, let's say. Um, and, and it makes me think too about, Mm. I have found that I have been able to pull through or sort of move through psychological blocks by doing a parallel action in nature. So I, I, I have, I like to collect things. I accumulate a lot of stuff. You could say I have a lot of baggage, but I find that right now, especially this time of year, when I spend a lot of time out in the garden pruning stuff, like pruning trees, pruning branches, pruning the rose bushes, all this stuff, I am much better able to get, get rid of stuff. Like after I spend a long day of pruning, I can go into the garage and just like haul boxes out and take them away. And it's a, it's, it's, it's kind of remarkable how that works. And I think there is a psychological Mm. or a psychotherapy explanation for that. Um, but it also reminds me I've, I've gone on pilgrimage. I spent, um, you know, 33 days walking from essentially the French Alps to the west coast of Spain. Chiara just wanted to mention that she meant to say the Pyrenees, not the Alps. And it's a um, famous historical pilgrimage called the Camino de Santiago de Compostela. And, um, you know, I'm not a religious person and I'm certainly not Catholic. And this is a 
pilgrimage is Catholic in origin, but it's non-denominational. Of course, people from all over the world do it for different reasons. But um, there is just simply something extremely healing about walking every day. I mean, just Mm. getting up, putting on your shoes, feeling the dirt beneath you, and just simply walking and being in nature. I mean, so if you think about pilgrimage, it's also it's it can be a it's a big idea, but it's also a very simple idea. You know, I think that probably um, if we, we don't have, maybe we don't have the tools yet to observe this, but I would, I would, I would hedge a bet that a huge portion of the spiritual healing that occurs when someone goes on pilgrimage, if any occurs at all, is simply because of the walking every day and then being in, and being in nature and letting, letting um, the shift occur slowly over, over that. Um, so I think, yeah, that's, that's what I have to say about that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, walking is so healing <clears throat> and, but you said pruning and I love pruning that, <laughs> yeah. with that. It's like, it's actually one of my favorite activities. I know that probably sounds weird to most people, but I <laughs> love it. Most because people it, who have done it for hours at a time, maybe. Yeah, that's right. right. <laughs> it, it's, it's just, it's a, uh, it's such a combination of all the things that I know and do. That's the one act that I, you know, do at this time of year, especially. Um, and I was an early pruning addict because I, I, you know, since I was like 12, I started pruning my, the, the trees that were growing up in our, in our orchard in, in my childhood home. And that just kept translating, you know, there's a sculpture to it. There's a beauty in the human creation but you're co-creating, right? The, the plant mm-hmm. is giving you something. It's giving you the raw material. It's not a it's not a piece of marble. It's a living thing. And then, you know, after you do this removal process, right? So there's a re- whole removal process about what's not serving the plant any, any longer. Um, yes, it could live without being pruned, but that pruning is that focus. You know, you're focusing its energy for the next year. And, and that focus requires an understanding, requires observation. We spoke about earlier, looking at what did it do last year? I got to think about that when I'm pruning. And then what do I want this year out of it? But in grapevines, I'm always thinking two years ahead. So, you know, this coming year will be my fruiting choice, but, but the canes that I lay down will affect the following year. And so I have to have that. So there's actually three years in my brain at any given time when I'm pruning, especially grapevines. And it's really interesting to me to, to sit in the middle of that, that conversation that there's, there's a, there's more happening there than, than just me. And um, it's a new beginning. It's like an initiation, mm, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. of the yeah. new year. And uh, I just, I love, I love pruning. And pruning yeah. is like, so I think, I, at least for me, I was afraid of pruning because I was afraid that I would make the wrong cut or hurt the plant or, um, you know, not disinfect my pruning, sh- or what, all the different things yeah. that you read about. Um, but once you kind of get started and get past that fear, it's really, all, you know, it's miraculous, frankly, how you can cut off a branch and then a new th- a new bud grows or you can shape it in this way and it, and it gets cut off and then new growth emerges. And I think for, um, if we're kind of mapping that on to like the spiritual experience, 
this is how spiritual regeneration occurs, you know, like a trauma mm -hmm. happens and um, you might, you have to do the work to let things go. Uh, and it, and guess what? New things come up, you know, there's new growth that happens and there's a new day. And at least for me, um, the, these, my relationship with nature has taught me so much and helped me actually helped me through um, really difficult times. And um, I think that there's, a, if that's not spirit, then I don't know what is, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I love, I love that. Oh, Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no I, I love that we're talking about pruning now and it's, you know, I mean, literally I have blisters on my hands from <laughs> pruning all like last week. And I, my, it's like, there's something again, connected, I, you know, bringing this back to connection. Like, why are we talking about this right now? Why is this on our minds? You know, we are connected to these cycles of nature and it reminds me as well. Like, what, like I, I asked the question, like, what, what is a vine? Just started thinking about that as you guys were talking about these things where I'm like, you, know, you think about the fact that, you know, for some, some of the vines that we're growing here in California, they, it's not like they started from seed. So they've been cloned repeatedly for hundreds of years so the, literally it's like this there's a direct connection you know like it was a cutting of a plant that was a cutting of a plant that was a cutting of a plant that goes all the way back to some far distant place and far distant time and and then it you know so what is a vine like what it's i almost think of like the things that we think of as nouns like vines and wine or should actually be verbs because they're actually this expression of a of a infinite number of complex relationships that we can't fully grasp at any one time in any one thought and they're expressing themselves continually it's sort of like that you you know the same person can never step into the same river twice because you're a different person and it's a different river you know um, and it's that idea of like, these things are verbs that we think of as nouns. And it's that I, I, I don't know, this is where my mind goes with the metaphor for these things and where, what pruning makes me think of, I'm sorry. And you were going to say something, Derek. No, well, I mean, that just, you know, that just, uh, just shows that intimacy, you know, right. once you, mm -hmm. you know, that observation through understanding, you start to see that we have overly simplistic ways of talking about things in, in our language, because that's necessary for communication, but it's not fully, it, it doesn't fully define anything necessarily. You know, uh, it's, it's interesting how there's words in Sanskrit. There's much more communication in Sanskrit about healing and, and self-awareness and the human conundrum than we have in Western mm -hmm. culture because, you know, we're not focused on that. It's just whatever you focus on is what the language comes to. Right. And, and, you know, the, 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 I put down, you know, like relationship with nature. Um, when you were talking about that Shiara, um, there's, there's relationship, you know, right relationship. It comes from, you know, so you're, you're pruning that plant and you're, you're like, this is, this is an example. It was, I thought it was a perfect example of everything we're talking about. So you come up to this plant, you print it for the first time, right? So there's all this fear. I mean, if you're a caring person, maybe you're going to have a little bit of fear of screwing it up, you know? Yeah. And, 
So you show up with that and that right there shows the disconnect right there. You know, bam, you don't know anything about this plant. There hasn't been much previous observation. So now you're learning. And so if we acknowledge that disconnect, then we can let go of the fear and go, it's going to live no matter what. Let's see what happens. I'm going to learn. And then as the years go, you become a master pruner because you know the plant so well and you're paying attention. Um, And to me, I think it's the same for the self. Like I, I realized after doing some work on myself that I didn't know myself that well. And I'd been outwardly motivated, outwardly focused. And my language was more about getting something, not about going within and having some understanding. And I had to, you know, start a, a, I think a meditation practice is really good for that. It's, you know, like when we're, when we're communing with a plant, when we're standing there figuring out how to prune it, and then we, we view it over the seasons and then we understand better each year. That's a meditation. That's Mm -hmm. a, a communication. And and for me, I had to do that with myself mm-hmm. so I can understand what is my viewpoint. Like, I don't even know what I want half of this time because I've been trying to, you know, get approval or whatever it is that I've been wanting from the outside status. You know, now I've got to find out who am I, you know, and that was a that was a, a bigger process. But uh, but getting in touch with that with the plant, I think, is a great beginning you know for that whole process a great illustration of the whole the whole thing yeah i love the idea of looking to plants for for wisdom you know observing them i mean again yeah i was thinking the same thing about how when i first go out into you know at the first pruning of the season i go really slowly because it's almost like that re re-seeing it you know rethinking re, you know slow like getting back into the mindset of the plant and what the plant's needs are you know it's that like reabsorbing a perspective that you haven't looked through you know looking through eyes that you haven't looked through for a while and and it also becomes meditative it becomes very thoughtful and and mindful you know i think um to use kiara's words uh, <laughs> and <laughs> and uh shoot and then you just made me think of something else about oh looking to the plant for wisdom um you know i just there's so many lessons like i mean one of the ones that i love is just knowing you know we've discovered how much plants actually give to the soil you know that they're using 20 to 30 percent of their energy to feed the microbiome of the soil and and what would that look like if we applied that to our own lives? You know, if we if we emulated these beings that have figured out how to survive for 65 million years or more, um, those of us who have been around here for a fraction of that, you know, a blip of that time, uh, might we might do a little better <laughs> to think about maybe how did they how did they figure out how to survive for so long? Um, anyway, these are some thoughts that, that I have. <laughs> Well, pruning. Yeah, that should be on a banner somewhere. <laughs> so now, <laughs> yeah, I just love it. The the glu- I call them glucose kisses that the oh, plant yeah. gives the bacteria, you know, through the roots and the fungi, and that that's another whole soul geek, you know, conversation. But but uh, yeah, totally. but I just love that you brought that up. That twenty percent that goes back. What if I give twenty percent of myself back to myself each day? Like I just yeah, to what to what sustains you to give to the com- yeah. you know the network and community that sustains you give back. That's it. You know that's yeah. beautiful. Um and and just on a more fun note, I now thanks to Nicole Masters think of plants as sugar daddies. 
<laughs> they are, man. Totally, because they're getting it for free. So they got the bank right inside right. them. And they're just like, you know, printing out all this money and hand right. it to the bacteria. And they're like digging it. They have a little party down there in the soil. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And it's really, it's really amazing the science that we are now able to, you know, quantify and understand in terms of like epigenetics and the quorum sensing and quorum quenching in the soil. I mean, like just in some of the crazy stuff that we're finding out is that, you know, in any square foot of soil, there are, you know, dozens and dozens, probably hundreds of different seed species of weed seeds, but it's only when the microbiome of that soil has the right quorum bacteria, you know, quorum of bacteria and other microbes that those will get the signal to express themselves. And so when you see a plant growing in soil, it literally is communicating something that the soil, like it is communicating a message from the soil. And I, I mean, I just think that's fascinating and that we can now actually study that and quantify that is amazing. And yeah, there's a, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, there's a whole book called Weeds by Charles Waters. I don't know if you read it, yeah. but, you know, it it's this thread. And, and you know, really <clears throat> what you just offered is like, so then what is a weed? I mean, a weed is right. really just what we decide, you know, if it's got thorns and it's poking me, then that's a weed and it's coming out, you know. But everything yeah. else is part of that. You know, we keep coming back to this, that observation, like those plants are telling us something, learn from it, you know. The yeah. soils needing something, and those what what often grows on the surface is what they call a concentrator. So yeah, it's concentrating yeah. those things that the soil needs, so this that it can grow past that moment, yeah. right? And then you yeah. see a, a natural change. Yep. Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah. Kiara, do you have any closing thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I've. Um... I have a lot of thoughts. <laughs> it's uh, trying to wrangle one down and articulate it. That's the challenge. Yeah. yeah. Um, but um, no, I mean, I just, I love this idea. I, I love thinking about, you know, I was just, as you were speaking, as you both were speaking, I was thinking about wine as a beverage that is um, sort of the summation of all of this. You know, we've talked about, um, the intimacy that the wine grower has with the vine, um, with the, you know, the, the intimacy that the, the vine itself has with the soil, the microbiology and the sunlight and the air and, and then the, the, the farmer and the winemaker. I mean, it's just such an act of, of love, really. I mean, it's, um, uh, you know, it's densely packed with so much, you know, energy on different levels, you know, spiritual energy, actual energy, um, and this very powerful, I was just saying, you know, there's been, I mean, there's like, you, know, you could say the calories and all these different things, whatever, oh, but what there's that. And then there's the spiritual energy that it's imbued with and, and sort of the love and yeah. the passing on and the, 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 the layers of time, you know, like as Derek was saying, when he's pruning, he's thinking about three different years and probably more, you know, so as a beverage is really amazing in that way, I think. And, different um from almost any other beverage because it's got all of this in it and um but I was just kind of, I was just thinking about that and how because I'm I'm always drawn to why wine like why why has wine been um 
so special for humans for thousands of years. Uh, and I think it must have something to do with this, um, you know, how it captures all of this in one, one sip. <laughs> yeah. um, so that's, that, that was my, those are my, the, where my thoughts were just now. Love that. I love that. Derek, do you have any? Any parting shots? Um, yeah. <laughs> just, I love wine. Why wine? And, you know, I just think that thankfully we're all here. I don't know where else this kind of conversation is happening. Um, Adam, I imagine you'll, you know, hear from some feedback on whether your, your listenership, you know, likes it or whatever. And I just, uh, you know, I think that as wine drinkers, there is a tendency more so than perhaps with other beverages. I mean, I don't want to say, you know, better or less than, but for some reason, this, this, this conversation happens for people around wine. And that's why I just thank you, Adam, for opening up your, your floor today for, you know, this conversation to reach, you know, bigger audience and to see where it, what it may lead to and how it unfolds. And, you know, wine is at the center of it. And, you know, here we are three wine aficionados in, in, in our own ways and also gardeners and it just, but talking about spirit, what a beautiful, you know, way to complete and conversation to have. And there's so much more. Yeah. Thank you both. I appreciate that. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. And if you did and would like to support this podcast, please do. There is a Patreon link in the show notes where you can subscribe with a monthly, very low subscription to add monetary support or Please subscribe on your feed, whatever, wherever you listen to this podcast, subscribe and follow this podcast so that you will automatically download it when each new episode comes out. That's one of the few metrics that we can measure to see the support and and listenership of this. And otherwise, if you're already listening, subscribe, support, whatever, uh, just long time listener, haven't done anything, please uh, do a review if you would any positive review with five stars and a nice word <laughs> is fantastic and helpful and uh, really improves the algorithmic performance of this podcast. So thank you so much.